that really was the first minute of the rest of Jenny Burt's life. It's uh, a terrible, terrible story. They find an interesting thing. They find a 22 bullet lying in Proust's bedroom. I'm Andrew Rule. This is the first episode of a three-part series on the abduction and presumed murder of a young girl called Prue Bird. This is one of the most harrowing cases that I've had anything to do with. This story of Prue Bird starts on one level on February the 2nd, 1992. And that morning, a lifelong friend of a woman called Jenny Bird wakes up and she's got a terrible feeling that something bad is going to happen to, to her friend Jenny and Jenny's family. This feeling is so strong that she gets on the phone. This is pre-mobile usage. She gets on the phone and she tries to ring her friend Jenny. They'd been to school together 30 years earlier. They're very close, closer than sisters. She tries to ring her. Jenny's not home. Jenny's actually driving up to Yay to run an errand for a man who later comes into this story. The friend, Christine, is very, very distressed because of this dream she's had. And at lunchtime, she finally gets through to Jenny Bird and she says, Jenny, are you okay? Are your kids okay? I've got a really bad feeling that something bad has happened. And Jenny says, no, no, everything's fine. I've just been up to yay. I'm back now. Uh, the kids are fine. Um, I'm going off to Glenroy Pool with friends to have a swim and um, see you later. We'll talk later. Okay, so Christine is very relieved. She hangs up the phone. Jenny Bird is the mother of three children. The oldest of them is Prue, who's 13. After this phone conversation, Jenny tiptoes over to Prue's bedroom. Uh, it's school holidays. And there's Prue asleep in bed. It's around midday. And she thinks, oh, that's nice. That's great. She's quite good. So Jenny goes off to the swimming pool. It's the last time she ever saw her 13-year-old daughter, Prue, when she saw her asleep in bed. Because when she got back from the pool that afternoon, Prue's gone. And not only Prue's gone, which in itself is not terribly ominous, but what's ominous is this. On the dining table, the kitchen table, is a plate full of corn. Um, Prue has opened up a tin of corn to have some lunch, and she's put it in a plate and not touched it. Her handbag is still there. Prue's a 13-year-old girl. She's keen enough on makeup, hair, all that stuff. She wanted to be a makeup artist. And she's left her handbag with her hairbrush and her makeup in it. And her mother knows in her heart she would never do that of her own volition. Her mother has a terrible feeling that something really bad has happened. But of course she hopes otherwise. This is the, the torn parent. You hope they've just gone down the street. You hope they're so careless they wouldn't leave you a note. Prue always left notes. There was no note. So here's Jenny, worried mother. She tries to ring Prue's best friend, Melissa. She rings Melissa's number, again, pre-mobile. No answer at Melissa's house. Nobody's home. She's worried, but she hopes that Prue is with Melissa and they're down the street at the shopping centre or whatever. This is in the western suburbs, at Glen Royway. She hopes they've gone to High Point West or something. That evening, she finally gets through to Melissa and Melissa says, no, I haven't seen Prue all day. 
I just haven't seen her. Not not a sign. And at that moment, Jenny Bird realises this is really serious and that Prue has vanished and that all her fears are justified. And that really was the first minute of the rest of Jenny Bird's life. It's uh, a terrible, terrible story. And that's how it begins. Now, Jenny rings triple zero, as you would. The police are busy. Broadmeadows Police are the, are the closest local 24-hour station. At midnight, because they're busy, they send a divvy van or something, and they turn up and say, they explain the usual thing, you know, look, teenage kids, they run away, they do this, they disappear. There's thousands of them every year that go missing for a night or two nights or a week, and they come home. You know, don't worry too much. However, one policewoman put the information into the police computer and gets enough information out of the computer to realise that the bird's background has links with the Russell Street bombers. And there's enough about it that alarms that policewoman that she warns her superiors that this possibly could be background to this disappearance. Apparently she was ignored and everybody hoped it would go away that this child, like a lot of other children, would just turn up in the next day or two and it would all be over. Not to be. The policewoman's intuition, I believe, was probably right. Next day, the missing persons unit comes out. Now, the missing persons unit in 1992 was not actually, you know, homicide detectives linked up with homicide. They were just a unit of reasonably low-level police. Good at what they did, but they were missing persons, not crime department detectives. They searched the place and they find an interesting thing. They find a 22 bullet lying in Prue's bedroom. Now, we don't know really what to make of this. Jenny vows and declares she never had any ammunition in the house and you have to believe her, although she did know people that did have ammunition. So, you know, 22 bullets are fairly common in some places. And she also says that she vacuums the room regularly, so she would have found it anyway even if it was there for an innocent reason. She took it to be a sign and a symbol deliberately left by the abductor, an ominous thing. She might be right. We'll never know that. The missing persons unit uh, take her seriously, but every police officer involved is at the mercy of the system. And the system, particularly in 1992, is a catch-22 problem. And that is... You can't get homicide involved or the crime department detectives involved in searching for a missing person unless you've got evidence that there's been a homicide. So uh, all, all we had in this case is a runaway, according to the police. No sign of blood, no sign of a struggle, no sign of a break-in, therefore nothing to go on. So in that golden 24 hours, there is no effort by the police to treat this as a serious potential homicide. We later find out that that 24 hours is indeed very vital in this case, tragically. What happens next is that a week later, Jenny Bird is in the street. She's frantic, she's worried, she probably hasn't slept for a week. She sees a white car drive past very slowly down her street in Glenroy. And the man in the car looks at her really hard because he's going very slowly outside her address 
and she thinks that man's giving me a death stare. She doesn't recognise him, but she thinks that guy is looking at me, he's giving me a death stare. What's that about? She reports this to the missing persons unit, or, or to the local police, or both. And some time later, this is weeks later, she is shown uh, a bundle of photographs from the police files of the Russell Street bombers. This is a connection between her and the Russell Street bomb gang, which we'll go into later. And as soon as she sees one of the people who were allegedly in that Russell Street bomb gang, this is a person who was never convicted of the bombing but was heavily associated with the gang by uh, blood and uh, by association. She says, that's the guy that I saw drive down the street. That's him. Who is he? And they go, oh, my God, the policewoman who'd shown her the pictures says, oh, my God, that's... And she gives the name of the guy. It's a very well-known name, uh, a very well-known surname, which we won't use here because he was later acquitted of the bombing, although not of other charges. So that's when the plot really, really thickens and it becomes clear to almost everybody that this is extremely sinister. However, regardless of that belief at the lower levels of the police force and in the missing persons unit who were very sympathetic and treated Jenny very well, someone higher up in the force was apparently keen for this to be A, a runaway, or B, a domestic murder, or C, an opportunistic abduction by some stranger, stranger danger. In fact, this senior person, whose name we know, no longer a policeman, very senior person, he said to, to someone who told Jenny, Jenny, she was divorced, she was in a relationship with another woman, which in 1992 was still sort of scandalous to some senior police who were old and cranky and bigoted and stupid, some of them. And this old, cranky, bigoted, stupid policeman, who was very senior, actually had the hide to say, oh, these sort of domestic murders are very common in lesbian relationships because the, uh, the lesbian lover is jealous of the children and kills them, which I think is a sweeping assertion that has no basis on any sort of evidence. I, I can't even think of a case, personally, where that, is, where that has happened in, in 30 years of crime writing. So that's the sort of cooperation poor Jenny was getting at senior levels in the police force. Of course, the reality, the political reality of this, I believe, is this, that at high levels of the police force, they're going into cover your own backside mode because clearly this is looking like a case where Crown Witnesses in a major trial, that being the the Russell Street bombing, have been punished for the evidence they've given. And that, of course, leads us into the backstory of the case, and that is the Russell Street bombing. Thanks for listening. Coming up in next week's episode... Stan had befriended these young fellows out in the eastern suburbs, the Minogue brothers, Craig and Rodney, and some other young blokes. And it is unbelievably 
lucky that it didn't kill police by the dozen and passers-by by the dozen because it was a massive explosion. When um, she'd taken up with Hetzel, this other prisoner said, beware of that man, he will bring nothing but grief and tragedy into your life. And that other prisoner was right. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.